0: beyond the mic with sean Dillon. we're joined on the star line by the media executive who had the funny idea to create a cable comedy channel that idea turned into the comedy channel which we all know now as comedy central stories from that experience are in his memoir constant comedy how i started comedy central and lost my sense of humor we welcome art bell hi how are you absolutely great let's go beyond the mic Growing up, you wanted to be a famous scientist. What brand of science did you want to focus on?
1: (laughs) Well, I thought about physics or chemistry, and that was one of the reasons was I had a neighbor who was a good friend who was a chemist. He kind of helped me with my interest in science, even when I was a very young kid. You know, he showed me telescopes and gave me a chemistry set and all that kind of stuff. That's how that happened.
0: After courses at Michigan and Swarthmore, you killed it at your college production of Fiddler on the Roof. (laughs) What made the stage so appealing to you?
1: Filler on the Roof. You know what? That's a funny story because I was not much of a singer. I had done some acting on stage. So when I was approached by the person who was in charge of casting to do Filler on the Roof, I said, I can't do that. I can't sing. She goes, No, you're going to be great. I said, I cannot sing. She goes, I will teach you. They cast me as Muddle the Taylor, which, as you may remember, has a solo with the orchestra, which is one of the high points of my life. But this woman did teach me. I had lessons three times a week and she taught me how to sing. Of course, I forgot everything she taught me. (laughs) Do
0: you have any pictures from that production? I do. Actually,
1: for some reason, I noticed that I do have a picture of me on stage as Muddle the Taylor. I don't know who took it or where it came from. You left
0: Washington, D.C. as an economist and headed to business school. Then, jobs at CBS and HBO when your big idea hit, a comedy channel. But it almost didn't happen.
1: Yeah, that's right. I actually, you know, I loved comedy as a kid and I really made comedy. I was a comedy geek, I guess you'd call it. I I just like, I, I loved everything about it. I watched a lot of comedy. I tried to be funny myself, not with great success all the time. So when I was in business school and there were new cable channels starting up all over the place and I was looking to get into the television business, I kept saying, Hey, how come there's no 24 hour comedy channel? I mean, there's a, There's an all sports channel, there's an all news channel, there's an all all kinds of things channel, no comedy channel. So by the time I got to HBO, I knew I was in a good place to pitch it because they did great comedy. They were doing comedy specials with all the best comedians. It almost didn't happen because I pitched it to the head of programming first and she basically told me it was a terrible idea. Nobody wanted a comedy network. Nobody would watch it. No comedians would dare be on it. And why would HBO risk their reputation on a startup comedy network? So <laughs> She basically threw me out of her office in, in about uh, eight minutes. It was a little distressing. But by the time I walked back to the elevator, I, uh, I just said to
0: myself, she's wrong. She's just wrong. The idea was so important, you were quitting and taking that idea to anyone who would listen.
1: Yeah, how crazy is that? You know, I think back on that when... <laughs> There I was with a job, thinking about leaving the job just to get this thing started. I was—I had a job, but the project we'd been working on was canceled. Basically, it was—it it didn't work out. So they, at HBO, they said, "Look, we like you. Stick around. You know, we'll find things for you to do." But I was basically just sitting there doing some minor things, and I said, "All right, what the heck? I'm going to start looking for a job because who knows what's going to happen, and I'll take it to." You know, one of the other big entertainment companies, maybe they'll do it.
0: By the way, I was in one of the communities where the competing comedy channel, ha, that's right, had a presence. I really didn't like. <laughs> well, that's. Uh, I would say that's nice to hear. But you know what? It was an
1: interesting time. What happened is, we announced HBO announced that they were doing a comedy channel, and the next day after the big announcement, we had a big press conference in L.A., and we were pretty well along. MTV Networks announced they were doing a comedy channel. And that was, you know, it was right out of the MTV Networks playbook. They always did that. They always met the competition with a press release saying, oh yeah, we're doing that too. So we launched for six months later, they launched about eight months after that. We merged. And that's how we got to be Comedy Central. We merged. A lot of the people on either side were uh, let go. And I was told to team up with the other head of programming at Ha and figure out what this new channel was going to look like. Art
0: Bell's memoir, Constant Comedy, How I Started Comedy Central and Lost My Sense of Humor, available now. Art, you work with comedy giants, John Stewart, Bill Maher, Dennis Miller, and more. How did your time with them shape or warp your sense of humor?
1: Well, you know, I, it was interesting to see how comedy went right and wrong, especially when we were taping something uh, as we did with uh, with Bill marshall or or uh, John Stewart show I mean watching this stuff tape and watching comedians sort of be funny and then be not funny you know and then try and work their way th- through the taping so that that they could be funny and and realizing how difficult it was to maintain that kind of funny demeanor over a long period of you know, over the period of an hour or more, as you're taping, I also recognize the contrast in personalities among the comedians. I mean, John Stewart. From the minute I met him, I knew he was smart. I knew he was empathetic. I knew he was sensitive. I knew he was. You know, he was all about really trying to do the right thing. Uh, there was an incident where he was on the air with a partner. Her name was Patty Rossborough, and and she was let go because. John was really dominating the show and he was incensed. He was so upset on Patty's behalf and said, you can't do that. I know this is a company, but you just, you can't just up and fire somebody. (laughs) You know, I realized what an interesting and and terrific guy he was. On the other hand, Bill Maher, you know, Bill was very hard to work with. And he, uh, you know, I think his persona that comes across even now on television um, suggests that he might be hard to work with. I mean, he's very demanding. He can be unpleasant. I mean, there's no other way. There's no other way to put it. He and I had some some disagreement. Matter of fact, he tried to get you fired. <laughs> yeah, that was that was a great moment in my career. I did a an advertising campaign with an agency. We did a, a very big advertising campaign for Bill Moore. And when we got it out there, we had checked with his producers. We checked with a lot of people, but we didn't show it to Bill. Because Bill was a control freak, and we knew if we showed it to him, he'd you know cross it all out and rewrite the whole thing, and we'd have no campaign. So we just put it up there, hoping that everything would go swell, and it didn't. Bill called me up almost immediately and said, that's the worst campaign I've ever seen. You have no idea what this show is about, and if I did my job that badly, you would probably cancel my show. So since you did your job that badly, um, I'm having you fired. And I've made some calls already, and I'm going to have you fired.
0: But that campaign ended up winning an award.
1: <laughs> not only did it win an award, but there's a special irony in there, and I I depict this in the book because I thought it was just such a funny story. We went to the awards ceremony. The person, the host of the awards, as it happened, was Bill Maher. They had hired Bill Maher to host the awards. He didn't know anything about the fact that we were that we were not his his campaign was nominated. So when he started reading the list of, you know, best advertising, whatever the award was, he stopped when he saw that it was for Politically Incorrect. And he looked up and he said, hey, that's my show. That's great. What a great campaign. (laughs) And then when we won, they put the campaign up and he looked at it and he said, well, no wonder it won. It's terrific or something like that. And uh, we couldn't have been more surprised. Of course, um, he walked out of the... um, out of the show, you know, past our table that night and didn't even say anything. You'd think he would have said, hey, how's it going? (laughs) Good good job on winning the award, but he didn't.
0: The book is Constant Comedy. The author, Art Bell, joins us beyond the mic. One of the things I loved in the book was the many meetings of the Buzz Committee. Now, can you explain what it was to people who haven't read the book yet, and are you still in contact with some of these friends?
1: Uh, Sure. The Buzz Committee... Came out of the fact that we were at a meeting with the board, and the board was not real happy at that point. That was early on after Comedy Central had been put together. And one of the board members said, Look, you guys need some buzz. You got to do something. You got to get something out there. You got to do something that's crazy, you know? And we said, Okay, put this committee together of people who weren't in programming. That was the idea. We were going to get people who weren't producers or programmers, just people from around the company because everybody loved comedy and everybody had great ideas. And we put this committee together, and we'd meet, you know, once or twice a week and say, okay, what's happening? What are we going to do? What can we What can we come up with that's a crazy idea? And we did come up with crazy and terrific ideas. One of the things that came out of the Buzz Committee was the idea to cover politics, basically. We, the, the first thing we did was we did live coverage of the Presidential State of the Union Address in 1992, And it was called The State of the Union Undressed. And we had two comedians commenting on it as it happened live. And the first comedian to do that for us was Al Franken, interestingly enough, in 1992. So, yeah, and we came up with with a lot of great stuff. I think that was kind of directly led to, you know, all the other, we covered the Democratic Convention, Republican Convention, we covered a lot of political stuff, and we really started to build an audience of younger people who weren't previously interested in any of this, which directly led, of course, to The Daily Show with Jon Stewart, which was uh, one of the best ever news comedy shows uh, on earth. But. The second question, do I keep in touch with those people? The short answer is yes. One of the guys is Vinny Favalli. Uh, he's in the book in a bunch of places, and he was a very funny guy who was not initially in programming uh, or anywhere close to it. He was in charge of booking advertising spot. So he was way off the grid. But he was so funny, we had him in there. He came up with so many great ideas. He ended up in programming. He ended up in programming at CBS. He was so good at it after he left comedy. And and I am regularly in touch with him. He's a great guy. And Ken Olshansky, you know, a bunch of other guys that were in there, I, I do keep in touch with. It was a good time.
0: How hard or easy was it to watch an idea you had passion for change and evolve under the hands of corporate America?
1: The fact is, I wanted a comedy network. And I was... Really pleased to be involved in shaping it because I had such a strong idea of what it could be. I used to talk about being the the center of the comedy universe. I used to talk about it as being a place for innovative comedy. You know, so if you just take those two things, I think that Comedy Central has delivered on those in in spades over the years. They did when I was there, and they continue to do that after I left. I mean, a number of innovative comedy shows that have come out of there is, is amazing, and and. I also wanted it to be a place for comedians to come. And they did. It was, you know, before that, where comedians kind of tend to hang out together at the comedy clubs. When Comedy Central started and Comedy Channel started, the comedians started hanging around with us. And that was, they'd come to the studio and they'd just be there and they'd talk about comedy and they'd talk about their ideas. and, And so I really started to see this becoming a place for comedy. As far as changes Listen, everything changes. I, you know, I had a strong idea of what a comedy network should be. Other people had ideas. By the time, by the time we got into it, it was a group project. It wasn't me as the orchestra leader, you know, saying, okay, here's what we're going to do constantly. It was really, uh, hundreds of people, certainly at, uh, at Comedy Central and thousands over the years who have taken Comedy Central to terrific places. So I, I am always happy to look in my rear view mirror and see something that I that I started back then thriving and and really living up to my expectations of it.
0: Do you feel your creation helped people evolve the way they enjoy comedy and comedians today?
1: Yes, and I think I think that again John Stewart the Daily Show is a good example of that because as I said he pulled in people who were not previously that interested in politics. Now political comedy was a big deal throughout the 60s, 70s, 80s, you know, starting with, uh, Mort Saul notably in the 60s. And, but it, it was, it was considered pretty sophisticated comedy. Not that what the Daily Show wasn't sophisticated comedy. It was, it was sophisticated comedy, but in a different way. It really kind of, it really kind of redefined how comedians could do comedy about politics and current events. So I, I think that's one way it did it. I, I, I think the other thing is, and I'm, I'm going to reach back to Mystery Science Theater 3000. When it comes to defining what comedy was, you know, what comedy could be, Mystery Science Theater 3000 did what basically every funny kid in the world had been doing for, you know, their entire lives, which is sitting in front of bad movies and making remarks, making funny jokes. Of course, they took it to the highest possible level. But the idea that you could actually make a show out of, you know, make became more than a show. Uh, it was almost a movement. But, you know, the idea that you could make, make that into such a big comedy concept was really, really exciting. And then, you know, I mean, after that, South Park, you know, redefined, I guess, what you could do and get away with in, uh, in children's cartoons. But <laughs> so, yeah, I, I think that, I think that uh, Comedy Central did a good job of taking comedy in new places, new directions, highlighting comedians and comedy projects that uh, otherwise may never have been seen. I mean, you think Mystery Science Theater 3000? Was going to go to NBC and get on the air it wasn't going to happen. There we were, and where else was it going to go? And of course, we put it on immediately. It became a uh, a huge cult hit for
0: us. Author Art Bell joins us beyond the mic. Which comedians are cutting through and making an impact in comedy right now?
1: It's a little bit of a tough question for me because I, um, you know, I don't follow the comedy scene the way I used to. My kids drag me to um, the comedians they like. John Mullaney is a favorite. Gary Gulman is also a favorite. Uh, but those guys are, you know, they're they're basically doing uh, an extension of what Jerry Seinfeld and Robert Klein and those guys before him were doing. The beauty of Pryor was that he he really was he really depicted the African American experience to a, you know a non African American audience in a way that hadn't been done before. Um, he was on the Ed Solomon show when you think about that, talking about how he got beat up on the playground because he was black and. You know, you don't think of it that way, but that's exactly what he was doing. Uh, of course, he went way beyond that, um, and and brilliantly so. I, I think I think I would have to say, and I, I'm not going to put my finger on anybody in particular. I think some of the women comedians now, Amy Schumer, maybe, and, and some of the other you know some of the other women comedians who are who are doing, you know, really kind of going beyond where people might have expected them to go 10 years ago. And and, and that's, that's the reaction I've seen them get from the audience. Again, in tapes, I haven't seen them live uh, recently. But going beyond where people want women to go to talk I and mean, what they want them to talk about, especially in a Me Too era where women have finally raised their hands and said, look, enough with the sexual harassment, okay? We're, we're tired of it. It's not healthy. It makes us crazy. It ruins our lives. Stop. And I think that's, you know, I think it's really healthy. And they talk about other things that I'm not even going to mention on the phone about being a woman. That is, you know, it's important for people to, to know. I think the second which is political correctness. You know, Lenny Bruce was arrested like 500 times on stage. He was not politically correct. Bill Maher got on the air and he said, I I am doing a show where I'm gonna walk up to the line and I'm gonna step over the line all the time and it's politically incorrect. I think that comedians have a responsibility to reflect society through their comedic vision in any way that they can and that they will always there will always be somebody getting in trouble or crossing a line, regardless. I mean comedians I know there's a lot of talk about, geez, you you're killing my act here, I can't say any of that stuff. It's not quite true. I mean, comedians are still saying a lot of stuff. Maybe they'll get in trouble for it a little more. Maybe somebody will stand up and walk out in their in their act, or more people will stand up and walk out of their act. But that's not an unusual situation for a comedian, you know, to have someone say, you know, I can't believe you just said that, and stand up and walk out. But I think, like everything else, this is an ex- a little bit of an extreme, and it will pass, and maybe move to the other side, we don't know. So much of, about it is good. Again, the Me Too era calling out sexual harassment for what it is and saying enough. Black Lives Matter, of course. But and that doesn't mean we can't and comedians can't stop talking about it in a comedic way or telling funny stories about it because that sharpens our understanding of it more than anything else. You know, and if you're offended by it, you're offended.
0: Time's running out, so it's time for The Rocky 8. Eight random questions. Answer with the first thing that comes to your mind. There is no pressure.
1: Okay, I'm ready. I'm ready.
0: Art, what was the most interesting project you ever worked on?
1: 3D television. Really?
0: <laughs> the lightning round stopped,
1: huh?
0: <laughs> Do you want to hear about that? <laughs> <laughs> I was just shocked about that answer. Tell me more about 3D television.
1: I guess several years ago, after I'd left Court TV, I was doing some consulting, and we were with a couple of other guys, and we were hired by Panasonic to put together a channel that would uh, show off 3D television. Panasonic, obviously, wanted to sell televisions, and they figured if there was no programming, nobody would buy 3D televisions. So we did, and I, it, the, the whole thing was fascinating. But the short answer or the short result was that 3D television really didn't catch on very well. And that was probably because the audience had a hard time wearing glasses watching 3D television. They, they, they do it in movies, but not so much on television. So that didn't work out. And the other irony, though, is that producers and, and, and television directors, People who worked in the field, they loved working with 3D for television. They loved it. It was a new tool that they could use to tell stories and everything else. So it's kind of a shame, but I think that at the end of the day, television and all entertainment is about storytelling, and 3D was just not enough of an enhancement to the storytelling for television viewers for them to put up with putting on glasses and making sure they were charged and where are they and did the dog chew it or whatever. So. That's, that's what happened.
0: We now return to the Rocky Nate already in progress. <laughs> okay. Yes. Top three comedians of all time.
1: Oh, that's, that's not that difficult. Richard Pryor first, because he was, he was fantastic. Uh, Jerry Seinfeld, uh, certainly. And third, I mean, gosh, there's so many. Uh, I'm going to go with Robert Klein, because he was very influential.
0: Art, What makes your wife... Carrie Laugh. <laughs> um,
1: she she will get hysterical uh, with uh, when when somebody tells a poop joke, <laughs> which I find amazing. Okay, don't tell her I said that.
0: What's your favorite type of chocolate?
1: Uh, I'm a milk chocolate guy, uh, and I, I tend to buy it with nuts in it.
0: Most unappreciated job in comedy or in television?
1: Production assistant. Production assistant, Because, you know, production assistants have been the the, the, the sort of lowest form of life on the set. And they've been described as the the person that you send out for plastic sushi at 2 a.m. when you have to do a shot with sushi. I really think that those guys, they are dying to get into the uh, industry, into better places, you know, to become producers themselves or directors or sometimes even performers. And they work very hard. And people just, you know, kind of walk right past them a lot.
0: Favorite place to vacation?
1: Italy, uh, northern Italy.
0: Who's your favorite Marx brother?
1: Uh, it's got to be Groucho because Groucho was, you know, not only was he verbally adept, but he had a great physical comedy style. I've always admired that that that, that combination.
0: Who is the last comedian you saw live?
1: <laughs> Man, that's uh, that's uh, I think I got to say Jerry Seinfeld, and there you have it
0: he likes milk chocolate with nuts he's learned to laugh again and loves to vacation in northern italy his book constant comedy how i started comedy central and lost my sense of humor art Bell. i
1: will say that it is available now for a pre-order on amazon it comes out on september 15th
0: thanks so much for taking the time to talk with me today thank you i enjoyed it and that my friends it's beyond the mic